You're listening to Behind the Impact, the podcast that looks at how the most philanthropic companies on the planet are making impact as told by the very change makers that make it happen. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Behind the Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown, and in this episode, Fred Tan, the global head of social impact at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, also known as HPE, joins the show. Fred, welcome to Behind the Impact. Thanks for having me here. I am very excited to chat with you. There is a lot going on at HPE, but before we get into HPE and everything that's going on on the social impact side of things, let's take a trip down memory lane. I would love to learn more about your background and how you got into the social impact profession. So can you give me that timeline? Yeah, for sure. So maybe the history that you do not need to know. Um, I grew up in Singapore and both of my families on my mom and dad's side were came from pretty humble backgrounds, if you will. My mom and dad actually never graduated from high school. Um, but because of the provision of opportunities and a structure provided by the government that allowed people to seek and get opportunities at whatever stage of life they are, um, we're fortunate and privileged to be able to um, change our lives, if you will, um, and, and benefit from a system because of that. Um, fast forward to now, my dad has a PhD. All to say is because of that transition from a family that was in a really humble beginning to a place that was really privileged, I always knew that in my life, I, I needed to be in a career that had impact focus at the center. Um, and so looking at my family immediate and a little external who are accountants and auditors and engineers, they do work that I could never dream of doing and the world needs them to keep going. But I knew that's not what I wanted to do. So I, I started my career in government um, as a police officer to begin and then in the home department looking at policy making, really how can we put our ears to the ground to understand what people need, what communities need and how can we respond in, in the best way. Moved on, did consulting for quite a few years, both boutique consulting and then helped Deloitte um, start its um, United Nations and sustainability account in Asia Pacific. Um, worked in a couple of nonprofits to now working at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. So you mentioned that you did work at some nonprofits and did some government work as well. During that moment or point in your life, were there any lessons that you drew from those experiences that directly apply? To the work that you do today yeah for sure for sure i think two lessons come up right to the top one is the importance of listening to the people that you're trying to serve um, and ensuring that you get the feedback from the community constantly um, i think that's the first really important thing both learned that in government on the ground versus a cop we're trying to change the way that policing policies were conducted, if you will. I mean, that was really, really crucial was listening to the community and understanding what they needed, what they wanted, um, and then applying that in the work that we do. I think the same thing then applies now in a corporate setting, the importance of listening to stakeholders, both internally and externally, and being aware of the power dynamics that exist um, is, is super key and important too. The other lesson is more... Um, it's less an actual skill, if you will, but it's more of an experience. The government sector, the nonprofit sector, and 
companies like Hewlett Packard Enterprise operated in vastly different ways. The way in which we think about issues, approach issues, solve problems are pretty different. The way in which we engage with stakeholders is also really different. And if we really want to make, not to be cliche, but a private-public partnership work, we need to understand that nuance in the way that people operate and, and work and then be the connective tissue to bridge that gap. So that was the second thing that I, I really appreciated is understanding how folks think, how they operate and why they operate in the way that they do in order to be able to find common ground. And you alluded to HPE, also known as Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, and so what I wanna learn more about is why HPE? What, what about the opportunity and the role what about those two things really called you to want to work at the company and be part of what they're doing from a, a social impact perspective? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, background information on Hewlett Packard Enterprise, we split from Hewlett Packard Inc. in 2015. So Hewlett Packard Inc. is more the consumer facing business, if you will, printers, computers, um, laptops. Um, and Hewlett Packard Enterprise, we are an edge to cloud company, one of the leading edge to cloud company. Our purpose is to advance the way that people live and work. Um, we look at hybrid cloud, for example, we look at edge computing, um, we built supercomputers. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I, I decided to join HPE. One of the inventions, if you will, that came out of Hewlett Packard Enterprise is our frontier supercomputer. It's a supercomputer capable of processing more than a billion, billion calculations per second. So 18 zeros worth of calculations per second. Um, and the opportunity to join a company that innovates cutting edge solutions that have the potential to solve some of the world's greatest challenges was really exciting to me. So that's the first. And the second was where the company was at in its trajectory. It recognized it had done good in the past. It was a good corporate citizen, if you will, but it had a desire and appetite to do better. Um, and that was really what I was looking for, a company on that trajectory that I could come in and help take to where it wanted to go, if you will. So uh, that, that's why I joined HPE. And you joined as, and correct me if I'm wrong, the deputy director of the HPE Foundation, correct? Yep, that's right. Um, and leading our social impact on the corporate side as well. So dual hats that I wear. So let's double click on the foundation side of things. Cause I, I, you know, when I was doing some research and, and dug into the foundation, there's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. A lot of different initiatives and programs that the foundation is involved in. So can you give me just a, a quick overview of what the HPE Foundation actually looks like from an internal working perspective? Yeah, for sure. So there are a couple of things that we do. We look after the employee volunteering and donation matching of 60,000 employees around the world. Um, and we also manage our foundation's grant making process. Um, our philosophy again is to advance the way that people live and work through technology. Um, and on the foundation side, we're looking at almost an intersection of three areas. We launched a new strategy last year that coalesces towards three thematic areas. Um, we're looking at health equity. We're looking at community and climate resiliency, and we're looking at human rights. Cutting across these three categories is a lens and focus on ensuring diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the outcomes that we're trying to drive towards the three of them um, are specific as well. Probably the biggest outcome that we're trying to drive is 
our desire to accelerate innovation ecosystems and enable innovators to do their best work developing solutions that improve lives and livelihoods. And at the foundation, we do that through our grants. Um, we support innovation ecosystems and intermediaries in the ecosystem, but when we also provide direct support to the innovators themselves um, who are developing these game-changing solutions. So that, that really serves as the bulk of what we do at the foundation. In terms of the three categories that you mentioned, you know, the, obviously from a, a corporate perspective, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go. How did you drill down to those three core areas? We took a look at, at a couple of things, um, almost Venn diagrams, if you will. The first is what our employees care about. Um, there are employee sentiment surveys that are helpful. We also look at the back end in terms of the donations that our employees give, which we match to see what types of causes they're donating to, what types of organizations they're giving to. And so that gives us a sense of the issue areas that they actually care about. Healthcare actually overwhelmingly was one of the top issue areas. The second area that we look at would be our unique capabilities. Us as an organization, what can we bring to bear that is unique, um, that no one else can provide, if you will. That's the second lens. The third lens is our business priorities. Where are we as an organization as a whole, corporate and foundation, looking forward to where do we have the connections in the ecosystem? Where do we have customer and partner relationships that we can bring to bear in different ways? Um, and, and that part was really important for us to look at as well. The last area in reality is the competitive landscape or, or maybe a ecosystem mapping if we don't wanna be competitive. Who else in the ecosystem are doing good work that we admire? Where can we be complimentary? But where also should we not play because there is adequate work being done and because us as a company, we cannot bring anything extra, additive, unique. Um, and when we combine all these three things together, that's how we came up with the three thematic areas of focus. Got it. And getting back to how you looked at where employees were making donations to kind of uh, get a better sense of what they cared about. Did you use a tool for that or how did, how did you go about analyzing that data? Yeah, so uh, Benevity is what we use for donation matching. So we really looked at the back end and looked at at least the past three years, dollar amounts that team members are giving, the types of organizations. We had to do a lot of manual coding ourselves to see what themes they actually fall into and then get a sense of what our team members actually care about. And speaking of team members, 60,000 employees around the world. That's a lot of employees. I want to learn more about the makeup of the HPE team, uh, more specifically on the social impact side. Uh, most social impact leaders that I speak to are a team of one or maybe a team of two or three. Now, obviously, you, you, you're having to manage 60,000 employees. How do you do it? Yeah, first is we, I have a great team that I feel privileged to work with and blessed to work with. Melissa Abbott, she's our senior program manager, and Alex Porta-Walsh. Um, Alex is the one really who drives our employee volunteering and donation program forward in the company. Um, and Melissa used to manage that portfolio and has since stepped into another role in the HP Foundation. Both of them are incredible, and we wouldn't be able to do this work without them. Uh, absolutely incredible individuals. But beyond that, I think 
sometimes in companies, especially for-profit companies, there might be a tendency to create kingdoms and concentrations of power. Um, and we're trying to not do that here. And so we're trying to split the responsibility to drive the work forward with different teams. This shows up in a couple of ways, if you will. One, we have an ambassador network of champions scattered across the world that we engage with often and um, we rely on, if you will. In essence, when we look at community and place-based grant making or engagement activities, we look to these champions as the experts and we defer to them for advice. We then get their advice as well to inform our corporate strategy on things that we should be looking at, how we can best develop and evolve a program to suit the needs of, um, of different regions, understanding that there's such different nuance um, with different regions. So that's the first thing that we do. The second then is the collaboration with our global functions, with our culture, benefits, and wellness team, for example, and the activities that they host, with our communications team, for example, and the ability to drive messaging and messaging to different types of stakeholders within the organization. Without these teams and our champions network, we wouldn't be successful at all, um, in essence. So really grateful for them. So let's dig into the champions network a little bit. Um, I'm a big fan of having a champion network within a company, especially a company the size of HPE. You know, when you have 60,000 employees, you can't do everything yourself. Even with a, a small team, you just can't do everything. So having some champions in place to really helps kind of a, alleviate some of that work or at least take some of that work off of your shoulders. Can you talk a little bit more about the champions network and how that got started, what that looks like? Yeah, for sure. So we call them our HP Gives Champions. They're mostly situated in areas where we've got a sizable team member density. Um, it's a nomination process. And so either you're nominated or you nominate yourself. Um, it, it's been running for years and years now. They serve, if you will, a, a two-way function. One, the strategy that we develop from corporate we flow it down to them and they execute it. We help them by developing the right tools, the right messaging templates, so that their job will be as easy as possible. Knowing that these folks have their own full-time jobs um, and have enough to do as is, we want to make their lives as easy as possible by giving them the right information, the right tools, the right support at the right time. The flip side, again, is that they provide the feedback system to us um, and help us to determine what strategy to develop and how to develop it. I will say with our champions, they dedicate anywhere between like 5% of their time, sometimes even 20% of their time to the work that we're doing. And for example, our, our champions in Houston are incredibly engaged and involved. And because that's where our headquarters um, is located, they do a lot of work, not just to drive engagement with our team members, but to ensure that we show up in our communities in the right way. And how do they give that feedback? Do you have like a quarterly meeting with all these champions? What does that look like? Yeah, so we actually have a monthly meeting for the most part that we have changed to, um, that we scale up or scale down depending on the time of the year. Again, respecting people's times and bandwidth. And we use this, we use these calls to 
again, push messaging down, but also provide them an opportunity to do spotlights under different regions. So to share best practices between regions and then an open roundtable discussion as well, that they can bring ideas to the table, pain points to the table, if you will, that we can help resolve. We also actually bring in um, some of our nonprofit partners to engage with these champions so that, again, our champions can learn how to best support our nonprofit partners and so that our nonprofit partners are also able to understand what our champions are looking for if they want to be more innovative and develop new tools. Um, beyond this meeting, your typical newsletters, Slack channels, these are the typical methods of communication um, that we can help get word out to the champions and from the champions. Roughly how many champions are in that network? Or I would say easily at least 60, if not more. Yeah. And for some for some sites, we've got more than one champion located to a site. Um, at some sites, for example, in London, our champions are a mix of executives in the company, but also apprentices who are starting their career um, in a new company, trying to find their feet. We give them this responsibility, if you will, as an opportunity to help develop them professionally, but also make connections across the company. And so it's a, a nomination uh, situation. Uh, in terms of tenure, is it once you're nominated, if you're accepted into the network, you, you ha you're in the network for a year or is it indefinitely? How does that work? Indefinitely, as long as you want. Um, that's, that's what it's looking at like right now. Um, I will say that we're constantly looking at ways to make this network more effective both for the purposes of what we're trying to accomplish, but also for the purpose of the team member and what we would like this to mean for them. And so tenure is something that we're looking at, ways in which it has increased visibility for them to their manager and their manager's manager, for example, are things that we're looking to build in um, to ensure, again, it achieves the right outcome, both for the organization, but as well for the individual. Now, when it comes to your role and everything that you're doing with the HPE Foundation, what is the the long term vision for this? Like, where do you see this going in terms of of the core initiatives and areas that the company is impacting? Are you diving deeper into those areas? Are there some other areas that you're like, oh, we should probably be playing in those areas because we can make a meaningful impact there? Yeah, that's a great question. So, grand big ambition is for it to be self sustaining. That's the first thing, um, to build it to a place where it sustains itself, it's embedded in its company and has the longevity that it needs. On the short term, in 2023, we launched our first program in the climate and community resiliency space. We're supporting intermediaries and accelerator programs that strengthen high growth, high tech startups that are developing solutions to improve climate and community resiliency. In FY23, our focus is only in the United States. We, we started small as a pilot, but moving forward, we're looking to expand that globally because we see that there's a huge need for innovation, climate innovation, community innovation globally, especially in developing economies. So that's, that's more the short to midterm goal. Also expanding these same accelerators into healthcare and human rights, both in the US and globally. And that's also a big focus. Um, and so those are the short-term goals with the long-term goal that as we do that, as we're setting the foundations, we can start being more integrated into the company um, and achieve that longevity that we want as a result. 
you said the magic word sustainability in a, in a sense. You said it. it's self-sustaining. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What does self-sustaining mean in your mind and as it relates to HPE and the programs that you have going? Yeah, so there, there are a couple of layers to it. One is strategically. Um, for it to be sustainable, it needs to be strategic. It needs to be core to who we are as a business from a values perspective, but also from a business strategy perspective. Without those two integrations, when the wind changes, we are going to become obsolete, if you will. And, and that's why it's so important in the choosing of a social impact strategy and focus area. It has to be core to where the organization plays and how it wins in the marketplace and connect it back to, to social impact. It has to be differentiated. That's the first part um, that, that we're driving towards. And I think we've chosen the right areas. Human rights will always be important to us. Climate will always be important. And healthcare is one of our biggest verticals that we look at as a company. The second is financial sustainability. Um, can we build the portfolio in such a way that we can run on our own or with minimal financial input from the company. Um, if we can get that to a place that allows for that, that in my mind is achieving financial sustainability. We're not there yet in all disclosure, but we're getting there. Most companies aren't even close. So I'm, I'm sure <laughs> HP is a little bit closer than most. And yeah, you know, when you and I first had our a conversation not too long ago, actually, we talked about this exact topic, and you know, we talked about you know how does social impact become an integral part of a business to the point where you know executives look at it and say, okay, we need to have this program or this team in place. We can't get rid of them. You know, when layoffs happen, they're not the first ones to go, and. I would love to get your thoughts on like what do social impact leaders need to know or do to put themselves in a position to have their programs and teams, if they have a team, uh, in, a, in a position to have that longevity um, so that that way their programs and what they're designed for can actually have that impact for the long term versus the short term. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think the right strategy is key. To start, if there if the strategy isn't right, then your chances of success is slim. And so we have to identify the right areas to look at, and we have to identify the right outcomes that we want to drive towards and be crystal clear on what those outcomes are. And, and I'll posit that for different organizations, the outcome is different. Um, for some organizations, that strategic outcome might be more human resource associated. Um, and so you would see that then your program should be designed with that in mind. For some organizations, your outcome and your strategy might be more industry focus or um, technology focus. And in so doing, your activities should flow from that. And so it's, it does really start with a strategy that defines then what you should do and whether it can be successful. Because of that strategy, it would then point you towards the best areas in the company to integrate with. I mean, that integration, I think, is key if it will be sustainable. The more internal champions you have of the work that you're doing, the higher probability that you will succeed and actually last for long. Um, and when I think of internal champions, 
as much as I'm grateful that others in the company champions the work that we do, I almost want to flip it. How can us as a social impact team support the different business units to integrate impact into the business units? And how can we as a team amplify the good work that you're doing? And it's almost a um, different frame of mind, if you will. Instead of asking for support, we're giving support. Instead of people saying, you're doing a great job, we can show how they are doing a great job. And they start having the pride and attachment to the programs because it is integrated into their business and because we have made them champions of what we're doing. So that I think, and, and with any sustainability or impact focus activity, I do think that that is the best possible outcome is if you can get your different business unit leaders to be that champion because they have integrated it into their own business. Number one, I, I love everything you just said. I 100% agree with that. I would love, can you give me an example of integrating with other departments? What do, how can a social impact leader integrate with the marketing team or the sales team or procurement, for example? Can you give me some some flavor there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll cast it in the light of, it's usually helpful to think it in terms of, a maturity journey rather than specific programs. And so as a social impact professional, I have all the excitement in the world and there are things that I want to do naturally. But the right thing at the wrong time is a horrible idea. And so we have to be aware of the level of maturity organizationally as a whole, and then each individual specific business units. So I'll give a, a climate example, for example, um, and then maybe an impact example. As a climate example, HPE recently accelerated our net zero commitments from 2050 to 2040. And so accelerated that by, by 10 years. Um, and as we made this bold acceleration of our goals, we realized that we needed to change our accountability mechanisms as well. The first thing we realized was that it won't work to push programs and tasks onto our business units right now. Just to say, you need to do this because we accelerated our net zero commitments. Our business units wouldn't be able to see how this fits into their organization and for them it will be an extra burden so we realized that the first step that we needed to take was one of education can we educate our business unit leaders on what climate means and what climate goals are trying to do so vp and up we mandated that they needed to take a climate training and that was the first step in the maturity journey again I want to stress because we could have skipped that step and gone straight to the, we need you to do X, Y, and Z, reduce the current footprint of your product, integrate this data platform into your product. And we could have done that. But because we started with the education portion, because that is where they were at, we now have business unit leaders who are saying, I have never thought about how sustainability and creating a more sustainable product not only reduces the footprint of my products 
but also reduces the eventual cost that is passed on to the customer. Because if the product uses less energy, it uses less money to run. And when they made that click, now they're the ones who are going to their team saying, we need you to do X, Y, Z, because it is important to our business. Um, and so it's almost a don't put the cart before the horse. Realize where your team members are at and then get that going. So the impact example, we build our programs on the backs, if you will, of our environmental sustainability leadership. So our program to accelerate clean tech startups in the US um, is in addition to our environmental sustainability leadership. There are lots of startups that are coming through this program who are remarkable and who would benefit from HPE technology. But again, we're taking it at a phase approach. The first approach is to help our leaders understand why the innovation ecosystem is important and why we have a right to play here. The second step is then to integrate this into the business to say, can we take some of our technology and pair it up with our startups? If we did the second without the first, it would feel like a cost. But doing the first and then the second helps them realize that these startups that we're working with are cool, that they would actually want to work with these startups. And now that they're asking us to work with the startups instead of us saying, can you work with the startups? The relationship's a lot stronger in that way. So it, it's all, I think in my mind, phased based on bandwidth, maturity journey, and the unique culture of the organization. So for social impact leaders, is it safe to say the first step should be educating departments or colleagues around the why behind what you're trying to do and then get into initiatives and programs and getting employees involved? Is that safe to say like that's the, the first step that should happen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think absolutely. Um, both that education needs to happen, but also the education in the opposite direction in terms of the business unit leaders educating us what is actually important to them as a business instead of us in our idealistic frame of mind, assuming that all business leaders should be integrating impact because it's the right thing to do, which it is. But we also need that, that other direction of education um, and realism, if you will. So the pairing of the idealism and the realism. Us as the expert in impact, sharing with the business unit leaders on what's possible. And the business unit leaders sharing back with us on what's important to them so that we can figure out how to make those two things work together. And those conversations, do those happen uh, like one by one? Like you're going to the the leader in the marketing department, having a conversation with them and understanding what what their goals are and then you telling them what your goals are and educating them around what you're trying to do. Is that how it, how it happens? Or is it like one big meeting where all the business unit leaders are, are a part of? Yeah. So actually it's a mix of both. When we developed our social impact strategy, we put our business unit leaders in a room together and we intentionally painted a picture and asked questions to help them get to a place to set the social impact strategy based on our initial research of where we thought it needed to be. But instead of telling them these are the areas where we need to be, we framed the conversation so that these leaders got into a room together 
and on their own had that debate to come up with the three areas of focus, which validated our research in the first place. So group conversation is really helpful. But then that relationship building, I think, beyond that really does happen in a one-to-one setting. Um, and I, I might buck the trend. I know that there is an adage that says, you know, does this need to be a call or could it be an email? Sometimes I flip it around and says, does this need to be an email or should it be a call? And for some things, it actually needs to be a call. To build that relationship, there is no substitute for a one-to-one conversation. An email really doesn't cut it. And so a mix between different mediums, if you will. When it comes to the work that you're doing right now, what really excites you? You know, is, Are there new programs, initiatives coming down the pipeline that you're just jazzed about? Like, What really gets you, your, your juices flowing? Yeah, I'm really excited by by all of our programs, really. Um, the two that are immediate in the horizon, one is our climate work um, that we're going to expand in 2024. And, and the reason why we're doing that is because climate change is real. And um, there are certain communities that are disproportionately affected by, by climate change. Um, and, and it's only going to increase. I think we expect... Um, at least 5 million more climate-related deaths over um, the next decade or two. So the, the urgency is real. But when we take a look at the innovation ecosystem supporting climate tech and solutions, only 2% of accelerators and incubators worldwide actually focus on climate tech. Lots of focus on fintech, which is great. Um, the world has benefited greatly by that. But we need more climate tech innovation and a stronger ecosystem to support. The picture is actually bleaker if we look at developing economies. There are only 25 accelerators and incubators focus on clean tech and developing economies. Most of them focus on agriculture, which is important. But what we're leaving behind is a need for better mobility solutions, clean energy solutions in developing economies. So I'm really excited, not only by what we're doing right now in the US, but the expansion that we're going to take uh, in the years to come. The second is human rights. I think at at any given point, there's an estimated 50 million people living in modern slavery. And us as a company, we want to do something to to help solve that. So again, an accelerator program to support organizations and innovations and solutions to that effect. Um, Those two are probably things that I'm incredibly excited about that we're running right now, but we're going to expand in the future. But specific programs aside, I think the broader picture is we're being more integrated. This is the vehicle, if you will, for which we will use our philanthropy. It is a vehicle for which we will use our technology. It's a vehicle through which we will use our talent. And that integration into this one vehicle that any business unit can support and be engaged with is something that I'm really excited about. In the years to come. Yeah, that integration is key. And I feel like any social impact leader that listens to this episode of the podcast, that's one key takeaway. Like, how do you integrate social impact throughout the business? It's not just about volunteering and, you know, monetary and product donations, although those are great things. There are so many other things that social impact practitioners can actually do to drive business forward. I have one last question for you. And this is a question that I ask every person that I interview. What is your why? 
Why do you do the work that you do? I think personally, again, it's because I've benefited from systems that have given me so much. And I see in the world, there are places where the system doesn't exist or a system is broken. And we have the potential to change things. Um, for me, this is the way in which I can affect that change best. For others, it's in, different, it's in a different way. But for me, this is my why. Um, I cannot sit and see broken systems and people hurting without wanting to do something to make a change. So, Fred, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and having a chat with me. And thank you for all the work that you're doing at HPE. I got a lot out of this episode and I'm sure listeners will too. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate the chance chatting with you and, and for your insights and questions as well. They've been fantastic um, and, and helping me think about my why and why I do things as well. This episode is brought to you by Social Impact World, the exclusive community for social impact leaders. To learn more, go to www.socialimpactworld.com. I'm Jeremy Brown, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Behind the Impact.